The text for today is Philippians 1, starting in verse 3 through verse 11. Philippians 1, 3 through 11. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory of and praise of God. This is the word of the Lord. How about now? Better? Okay. Good. Great way to start. Oh, man. What a happy new year, everybody. 2024. Uh, so, um, good morning. My name is Kenton Bryce. I am one of the elders here and also a covenant member here at Providence Road. Um, and this is the second year in a row that I've had the pleasure of preaching the very first sermon of the year. So, I think we're going to call that a tradition. Um, well, maybe we'll wait until after today, and we'll see how that goes. Uh, but it is an honor to be up here. Uh, I love the ability to preach uh, and bring the word because it is a time that I feel like the Lord just wants to work through me in a public way, right? And that's, that's pretty unique, and it, it's a privilege to be up here. Uh, so I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to get into uh, the text and hopefully see what the Lord has, us, has for us this morning. So, like I do every time I preach, uh, as I pray, I ask that you also pray, uh, that you also pray for me, uh, that the Lord would use me to deliver a word to you, uh, to encourage your heart, to edify you, uh, that this would be just a sacred time where the Lord is speaking to all of us. And so pray for me as I also pray. Uh, Father God, Lord, we love you. God, we thank you so much for this morning, for this church, for Providence Road, um, I thank you personally for the ability to be up here. Uh, we're humbled and privileged to be able to preach this morning. Uh, Lord, I pray, God, that you would speak to us. Lord, that I would just be a vehicle, that you would use me and my mouth and my tongue uh, to deliver something of substance to this body, uh, something that edifies us and encourages us in our walk of faith. God, I pray if there's anything that I say that is not from you, God, that it would just be forgotten, forgotten, Lord. And, and, and Lord, there's things that you want us to hear that they'd be quickly remembered, God, and that we would carry those into this next year. 
um, the words that you have for us. I love you. We thank you so much for today and this morning and your word that you've given to us through uh, Paul and Philippians. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I have a question for everyone. Um, this is a hard question. As I've been dwelling on this question for the past few weeks, as I've been preparing for this morning, uh, once you start peeling back the layers, this question gets very difficult to answer. What are you really confident in? What are you willing to stake your life on? What is it? That's hard. It's really hard to answer that question honestly. Because the things we're confident in, or the things that we think we're confident in, are things that we will base everything else in our life on. It's that firm foundation. Sooners football, are you confident in Sooners football? I'm not. Are you confident in the transfer portal? I'm not. Right? But yet, we, we act like it's the be-all, end-all for our, hopefully, our sports and entertainment. Right? But it's nothing we should be confident in. We know that. We don't even know what conference we're going to be in next year. Actually, we do. It's going to be different. But in 10 years, five years, great consolidation, paying players, and we're going to see a super conference of 64 teams, right? Is that the solution? Can I get an amen? All right. No, we, we, we can't be confident in Sooners football or even college football or athletics or anything to bring us actual joy, peace, uh, ultimate confidence. What about our jobs? That's a hard one. I think I have a good job. I was just in Washington, D.C. I flew home last night for the Association of American Law School's annual meeting. It was riveting. You guys think I'm going to go long today? Hour and 40-minute sessions over and over again. Wonderful. But you know what one of the big talks of at the conference was security, job security. People are worried about it. Even if you have tenure, people are worried about tenure being abrogated in certain states. Their confidence is shaken. And what's happening? They're fearful. Right? And these are well-qualified people. And they're fearful. Like I said, I just went to Washington, D.C. and back. And, Nicole, you're going to hate me for saying this. What about airplanes? How confident are we in air travel? Our team just went to Abu Dhabi. Thank the Lord they landed safely. I pray they come back safely. I travel a few times a year, and I'll just be very honest with you. I hate airplanes. I do not like air travel. Uh, I do it. But I'm not, I'm not staking my future or my confidence on an airplane. It's a machine, okay? It's a machine. It's made of metal, plastic, glass. It's got two jet engines strapped to it that go really fast. You feel that power. And then you're in the middle of the air, and there's always this moment when I'm flying where I look out the window, and I say, wow, there's only two inches. <sighs> It's so hard, right? I'm not confident in an airplane, but I still do it. And so I think the lack of confidence does a few things to us. One, if we dwell on it, it can breed anxiety, right? And if we let that anxiety consume us and that lack of confidence, it'll breed despair. And I don't like to do that in air travel. So what do I do? I do what everybody else does. I either medicate it, 
right? I medicate all that to make it go away. Take Xanax. And I see people do that on airplanes. Take a sleeping pill. Take, a, I don't know, a few shots of Jack Daniels uh, if you're in first class, right? You medicate it. To, to not remember that you are on this steel tube flying at 550 miles an hour, 36,000 feet above the earth, right? That's just craziness. You ignore it. Ignorance is bliss, right? That we always say ignorance is bliss. We ignore the reality of what's before us or what's possible, right? We blindly trust those in control. I don't know the pilot. I don't know the mechanics. I don't know anybody that works for American Airlines, I do, but not in that flight. But you know what? I'm okay, I guess. Uh, I accept it. This is where I usually go. I accept the tolerance. I tolerate it. I accept the tolerances. I was on a flight, uh, this is about a year ago, to Nashville, and it was Southwest Airlines. And the pilot comes across, like, we have a maintenance issue. There's a crack in one of the turbine fans. We're giving it 15 minutes for them to look at it, see if it's, if it's within tolerance. Guess what's the worst thing to say to someone like me on an airplane? There's a crack in a, <laughs> a blade on the fan. I don't care if it's within tolerance. I don't want to be on that airplane, right? But I accept it. I accept it. But any of that, acceptance, medication, ignorance, sometimes we distract ourselves, all of those remedies we have for the lack of confidence don't actually fulfill the underlying issue. Air travel is not 100% foolproof, right? Neither is our job. Neither is Sooners football. Neither is anything, really. And that's why it's a really hard question to answer. What are you really confident in? And over the past month, I've been dwelling on uh, this idea of sanctification. And then Philippians 1.6 kept coming back to me. And what's amazing about Philippians 1.6, at the very beginning, Paul says, for this I am sure. Paul has 100% confidence in what he's about to say. That also means if we believe that Scripture is God-breathed, that God is saying you can have 100% confidence in what Paul is about to say because I said it through Paul. So for us, when we read something like that in Scripture, when it says, for this I am sure, or this I am confident of, we should be on the edges of our seat because we're about to find a truth or multiple truths that we can stake our souls on. And that's what Paul's about to do. I love that statement. That is the most reassuring thing. For this I am sure. So ask yourself, what are you sure of? There's not much in this world. I would say if you're not in Christ, if you're not a believer in Jesus, you need to ask yourself that really hard question. What are you really sure of? Because everything in this world will let you down. Everything in this world has a tolerance to it. Maybe it's 0.201%, but there's still a tolerance you have to accept. Wouldn't you like 100% assurance of something? That's what Paul's giving us. So Philippians 1.6, I'm going to hammer on this verse only for the rest of our time because Paul is revealing something to us I think we need for the new year, right? He says this, and I am sure of this. What is it? That he, God, who began a good work in you will 
bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That, my friends, is an amazing truth. It's an amazing truth. And so in this truth, there are three points. Obviously, it's a, it's a Reformed church, so I have to have multiple points. Uh, but there, there's, there's three basic points to this, and it's a linear issue. There's a beginning, there's a middle, and there's an end. And that's what I'm going to break down for us. Quickly, I'm going to break down the beginning and the end, and then we're going to spend most of our time in the middle, because I think that's what we need to hear as believers. If you're not a believer in Jesus, hang with us and listen to the confidence that believers have in an amazing truth as we live our lives here on earth. So the beginning point is the beginning of the good work. What is that? What is that good work? Salvation salvation. When God redeems people to himself, individuals, peoples, maybe in Abu Dhabi, maybe the Czech Republic, maybe in Norman, Oklahoma, wherever it may be, he is redeeming people. That beginning of the good work, that is the moment of your salvation, my salvation. And whatever that moment looks like, it's different for a lot of people, right? But the truth of the matter is, for every human that has ever lived and that will ever live, there is a reality in this world that there is a thing called sin, and sin exists in the world, and it's a problem because sin separates us from being our true selves. You know, God designed humans to be the, uh, in his image, the Imago Dei. He designed humans to have a relationship with him, and then sin entered the world and fractured that ability to have that relationship. Uh, I just read a book last night to my son, Ian, called The Garden, the Curtain, and the Cross. And the curtain was put in the temple, as a, and it says this in the book, it says it over and over and over again, which is a great repetition. Because of your sin, you can't go in. Because of your sin, you cannot have a relationship with the one who created you. And so for generations, for millennia, we've been trying to figure this out on our own, right? How do we solve sin? Well, we can't. And that's the message of the gospel in Scripture. And so Romans 6.23 says this, For the wages of sin is death. If you are in sin, you are going to die an eternal death, and you're already there. Right? But... This is amazing. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That, my friends, is salvation. We have a problem. It's called sin. There's nothing we can do about it, but guess what? God did something about it. He offered the free gift to us of eternal life, life with him, right relationship, holy life with him through what? His free gift of his one and only son. It's amazing news. When I was in college, I was in a ministry called STUMO, Student Mobilization, uh, still alive and well here at OU as well. Um, and we learned the bridge illustration. If you've never seen the bridge illustration, it illustrates this great. There's a massive chasm. There's a massive canyon. On one side of the canyon is me. On the other side of the canyon is God. And I am supposed to be with God. That's how it was designed. If I want to live in freedom, joy, if I want to have peace, confidence in all things, I need to be with God. But there's sin in the middle, and it separates us eternally. I cannot get there. There's nothing I can do. 
I cannot jump far enough. I cannot be big enough, strong enough, fast enough, right? There's nothing I can do. But God gave his son so that we might be with him, taking sin, putting it on the cross, dying a bloody criminal death, putting that sin to death, and then rising from the grave, destroying sin and the power of death for all time for those who believe in Jesus. Can I get an amen? Amazing news. Nothing you could have done. That's the beginning of the good work. So for those of us in there, we know that. For those of you in this room that may not be believers in Jesus, you may be like, well, how do I get salvation? Here's what's crazy. It's super easy. Romans 10.9 says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, guess what? You will be saved. That's it. Super easy. Guess what you have to do? Confess and believe. Guess how hard that is? That's not that hard. Now, you do have to give yourself up, and there's a lot of other things that go on in this where you realize, oh my gosh, the Lord wants to have a relationship with me and regenerate my heart. This is amazing, all right? But yeah, super easy. All right, so that's the beginning of the good work. So that's the, I know we're going real quick through that, but that's the beginning of the timeline. Let's talk about the end of the timeline here, right? The end of the timeline is the day of Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ. That's what Paul says. He says, God who began a good work in you, day one, salvation, will bring it to completion at when? The day of Jesus Christ. Okay. I am not going to unpack all of that this morning. We do not have time unless we want to have the potluck at 2 o'clock and have a three-hour sermon. Sound good? No. All right. Didn't think so. So the day of Jesus Christ, when is that? What is that? It's the last day. That's it. The last day of human history is the day of Jesus Christ. What's going to happen? Well, 1 Thessalonians 4 says this. On that day, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. That's it. That's the day of Jesus Christ. There is coming a day. We sang about it this morning. We brought it up in confession. There is coming a day when Jesus will return. And those, as Paul has said, have fallen asleep, or what we say here have died or passed away, they will be resurrected with new bodies to be with him forever. And those of us who are alive at that time, it could be tomorrow. We don't know when it's coming, right? Those of us who are still alive right now, We'll be caught up in the air, what some people call the rapture, right? It's coming. That's the last day. That's it. That's our timeline. That's our timeline. It's the day of your salvation and the day that this happens. The day that this happens. And on that day, this is amazing news. On that day, all tears get wiped away. There's no more sin, no more suffering, no more pain. It's amazing news. Some people call it the perfection of all things or the completion of all things. It's done. It's finished. For all of eternity, we will be with Christ, praising him in the new heaven and new earth. Again, there's a lot to unpack there that we're not going to. Um, but I just want to say that's the timeline, right? That's the timeline that Paul's looking at here. So what about the middle? This is where we currently live if you're in Jesus, this is where we currently live. 
Um, and this is what we would call the already but not yet, right? Jesus has already come once, and he is coming again. And so we live in this time period in the middle, right? So what do we do with that? Well, for a lot of us that have been in church for a long time, we call that the time of sanctification, right? The process of sanctification. After our salvation kicks off the process of sanctification, I'll be very honest with you. When I hear sanctification, I generally think, okay, now it's time for me to get to work. It's time for me to get to work. Thank you, God, for your free gift in your son. I've been saved. I have right relationship with you. I've been adopted as a son in your family. I've been pardoned. Oh, but now it's time for me to get to work to be serious about my sanctification. It's time for me to start working. Be honest, that's how I feel a lot of times when I think about sanctification. It's amazing. The scripture says something completely different a lot of times. Like right here. Who's doing the work? God, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion. He's not done. He still wants to work in you. That's amazing news. He doesn't stop at salvation. He continues to work in you. That's amazing. The God who gave his only son so that you and I may have eternal life continues to work in us until the day of completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He doesn't give up on you and said, now it's up to you. I gave you a gift. You're welcome. See you later at the day of completion, right? See you later. Uh, no, he continues to work in us. That is amazing, confident news that we can take to the bank, right? We can be confident in that. And that's real confidence, he continues to work in us. Now, sanctification is generally, if you've never heard that term, or I looked up a good definition of it from one of the, a, a Bible dictionary called the Lexham Bible Dictionary. And it says, sanctification is the process. It's a process of gradual purification from sin and progressive spiritual growth that should mark the life of the believer. So if you think about it, salvation is your spiritual birthday, and then you're a spiritual infant, and you should be growing. But a lot of us think that I've got to make myself grow. I don't know one plant that makes itself grow. Water, it needs water, sunlight, care, and then it just does what it's supposed to do because there's all these effects on it, all right? Same idea. But most of our thoughts on sanctification are to duty, to work. I've got to make it happen. And I get trapped in that. I've got to read my Bible more. I've got to pray more. I've got to be less angry. I've got to be less prideful. I need more self-control. And how do I get that? Well, I'm going to do this 10-step exercise over here of mindfulness so that I can have more self-control. Like, okay, is that how you really get there? I don't think that's 100% of it. Right? Because Scripture's telling us something different. Because at salvation, something amazing happens. Something amazing happens when you are brought into the family of faith. When God begins his good work in you, 
something amazing happens. In Ephesians 1, 13 through 14, Paul highlights it for us. It says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Okay, same timeline. Salvation and the end time, right? Our inheritance when we acquire possession of it. In the middle, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit as our guarantee of all that. That's amazing news. God's not done with you. He gives you his Holy Spirit to seal you and to guide you. John 14, 26 says this. Jesus said the same thing. He goes, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring it to your remembrance all that I've said to you. The Holy Spirit's job is to sanctify you. The Holy Spirit's job is to teach you all things. The Holy Spirit's job is to help you remember the truths of the gospel. He's inside of you. If you are in Christ, the Holy Spirit has sealed you. He's inside of you, and he has a few jobs to do. This is what it means when God will do it. God is doing it. It's amazing news because then it takes the power from me. How do I get more self-control? Oh, man, I got to do 1,500 things before I get more self-control. How do I become less angry? I need to do these 10 things before I get less angry. It's what we call behavior modification, right? The Holy Spirit is very interested in your behavior modification, and he's going to do it. And you may not know it. You may not even know what's going on there, right? That's what's beautiful about this picture is the Holy Spirit is still working in you even when you don't understand it. So I'm going to turn real quick to talk about the things of sanctification that we should probably be growing in as believers through the work of the Holy Spirit. And Paul lays this out in Galatians 5. And we've all heard this before. Sorry. <coughs> it says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the flesh, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not be conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Okay. I'm going to unpack this really quick because this is where Jeremy was like, you got like four sermons in here. So 
This is a fruit of the Spirit. Self-control, gentleness, kindness, love, joy, peace. Those are fruits of the Spirit. They're not fruits of your work. You hear me? There is no law. There's nothing you can do to satisfy some law to gain these things. They are fruits of the Spirit. And so what does Paul say? If we live by the Spirit, otherwise, if you're a believer in Jesus, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Do you know what he's doing in your life? Can you see it? If not, let's find out how to do that together. That's what the church is for. Let's help you also see what the Spirit's doing in your life. Because here are two beautifully reassuring things about what God is doing right now in the already but not yet. For those of you in Christ, there are some beautifully reassuring truths in this. Right? The first is that, this is hard, but God has you today exactly where he wants you. Nothing escapes him, and nothing escapes his spirit, because the spirit is him. The Holy Spirit is in you, has sealed you, is working in you, in hopes that there will be fruit upon fruit upon fruit. And so today you may not feel that, right? You may feel weak. I get it. Like, man, I screwed up again. I sinned again. Yeah, we all do. But you know what? We're in this gradual progression towards completion. That's what I love about that one definition. It's gradual. It's over time. It's the drip, 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 right? It's the boiling the frog analogy or all those other analogies. It's going to happen over time, whether you like it or not, if you're in Jesus. If you're in Jesus, you walk by the Spirit. So Paul encourages, keep in step with the Spirit because he has you exactly where he wants you right now. You're going through some hard times? We all do. Whatever it may be, whatever tragedy may be happening, he's using that. The Spirit is working in you to use those circumstances for your good. How do we know that? Well, Romans 8, 26, let's go right there. It says, likewise. Remember, who's at work here? The Spirit helps us in our weakness. Do you feel weak? Guess who's helping you? The Holy Spirit. For we do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And then this beautiful verse happens right after Paul talks about the Spirit working on our behalf and interceding for us. And we know, we are confident that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Okay, so here's this amazing truth. You feel weak? Spirit's already working for you. You don't know what to pray? Spirit's already praying for you. You don't know what to ask God for? Spirit's already taking care of it. Why? Because we know that God is working all things for the good of those who love him. Do you love God? Are you a believer in Jesus? Have you given your heart to him? He's working all things for your good. 
You know, when I'm flying on an airplane, that's what I turn to for confidence. If my plane goes down, it is for the good of those who love him. And the Spirit's already working. The Spirit is already working. That's amazing news. We don't even know it. We can't even hear it. It's in groanings, too deep for words. We can't even hear it. We don't even know what the Spirit's praying for us, but the Spirit's praying for us. He's praying for you and you and you. If you're in Christ, the Spirit is interceding for you with the Father. What amazing news. Why? Because we saw it earlier. All so we can glorify the Father for His work. Amazing. How much freedom is in that if we don't have to work anymore? The Spirit's already working for us, all right? Engage with that. Here's the second thing I want you to remember, especially on the bad days, especially on the bad days. And this is where this sermon really came out of a few weeks ago. There's a song I've been listening to on repeat for like the past month. You ever get into those grooves where you're just like, I want to listen to that again, and then you do it again, and then like 400 times you're like, Ashley's probably sick of me talking about this song. Um, But it's called No Doubt About It by We the Kingdom. I just stumbled upon this album, and then there's a song right in the middle of the album it's called No Doubt About It. And in the song, there is the chorus. And the chorus goes like this. There is no doubt about it. I'm confident of this. I am on my way home. I'm not yet where I'm going. But I'm a long way from where I was. And that last line has struck me to the core multiple times for the past month. Because when I get discouraged on my spiritual walk, when I don't think I'm where I'm supposed to be, when I don't think I'm actually as complete as I need to be or as perfect as I need to be. One, I I rest upon the truth that the Spirit is working inside of me. He's doing something. Two, I think about that truth. I'm a much further along than I think I am. I've been a believer for 23 years. Yeah, 23 years. (laughs) Since 2020, summer of 2020, I gave my life to the Lord. I'm a really long way from where I once was. I'm a really long way from the sinful person I once was before Christ. As far as the east is from the west, I am really long, right, from who I once was. Scared all the time, scared to death, and I mean it. Nightmares about death dwelling on death as a, tw- as a 19-year-old, like, scared out of my mind about what's going to happen to me. I'm a long way from that point. Now, even as a believer, I'm also a long way from where I was the day after I believed. I was an infant. Oh, man, I said some stupid stuff, right? Really immature. Really immature. I didn't know Scripture well. I was on fire for the Lord. I tell anybody about Jesus. Did I understand the truth of Jesus? Kind of. (laughs) Did I understand the fullness of his deity and who he was? No. I grew in that, right? But I also grew in love, in joy, in peace, in self-control. All these things where there is no law. There's no head knowledge that's going to develop there. I can tell you after 23 years, after 10 years, I can look back and see this patchwork of events that have happened in my life where the Spirit was working in me to provide me with more self-control, more peace. So if you're, in, if, if you're having a bad day as a believer, 
just take a, take a step back and have some perspective on where you are now versus where you once were. That's amazing to do that. You are closer today to perfection than you were yesterday or the day before. Sometimes we don't see it, so remember the Spirit's interceding in you. Sometimes we don't see it. Just have some perspective. Step back. So I'll wrap up with a couple of ideas. Because, uh, you know, as good uh, sermons go, I guess, we're supposed to give action points. <laughs> I'm just telling you to remember things. Uh, so here's two things. If you're making New Year's resolutions, which I'm still on the fence on whether I do that or not. Uh, go back to last year's sermon. I talked about that, too. Um, but two ideas when you're making your New Year's resolutions, right? Remember that God will continue his good work in you, even if you don't see it. But then there's two things I think you can do if you're having a hard time believing this. One, I encourage you to adjust yourself preaching in your head. We all have a sermon going on loop in our head, right? If you're having a hard time believing that God loves you or is working on your behalf, maybe say this verse to yourself. Memorize this verse. Scripture memorization is very good for your heart and your soul and your mind because that's how God and the Spirit are going to remind you. They're going to continue to remind you of truths. So maybe memorize a couple of verses uh, a month. You know, don't, don't make it like I'm going to memorize a verse every day and then I'm going to read through the Bible within six weeks. And, you know, no, take, it's a gradual process, right? Maybe start with Philippians 1.6 this week. But do something where you are setting your mind on the things of the Spirit, on the things above, as Scripture exhorts us to do over and over and over again. Whatever that looks like for you. That can be different for everybody. The second thing, which just seems so simple, but we just don't do it very well, I don't think. Ask God for help. You know, Matthew 7, 7, Jesus, amazing truth. Just ask, and it will be opened for you or given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. For which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Are you having a hard time believing that he's working in you? Well, ask him to reveal it to you. Just ask him. It's so simple. Five minutes. Three minutes. Start where you need to start. So my exhortation for you at a New Year's resolution is ask the Lord for things. Pray to him. Talk to him. Ask him. If you're having a hard time believing that the Spirit's working for you, ask him. It's too, here, I'll give you an example. Dear God, how is your Spirit working in me? Question mark. Amen. That's an easy place to start, okay? And then build on that if you want. Say it over and over again, all right? Get up three minutes earlier than your alarm. Lay on your bed. Open your eyes or close them. Say, God, how are you working in me today? Reveal it to me. Because you know what? If you ask him, he's going to let you know. All right? Engage with the Spirit. That's how Paul talks about walking in step with the Spirit. Engage with him through his word. Engage with him through prayer. 
And if you're having a hard time with that, come talk to me. Come talk to one of the elders, one of our pastors. We'll do it with you. I will pray with you. Right? Even after this sermon's over, even after the service's over, I will pray with you if you want to start there. Okay? All right. Let's pray, and then we'll have communion. Uh, Father God, Lord, we love you so much. Uh, God, we love that you work for us and on our behalf, even when we don't know it. It's amazing news, Father. Lord, it takes up so much weight off of us. God, to know that you cared for us so much that you gave us your son, but you also gave us your spirit to continue to work in us. What amazing news that you truly are gentle. You truly are lowly. You truly, your yoke truly is easy. Your burden truly is light because you have given us yourself, Father, to work on our behalf. And you invite us to engage with that. And I pray we would. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.